Mount Herman, would you appreciate Adrian and the team and their ministry to us tonight? We thank God for worship leaders who uh, lead us to the throne of grace. How y'all doing tonight? Doing okay? I'm so glad to be uh, with you again. My name is Ricky Jenkins, and on behalf of the Jenkins family, I want to thank uh, all of you for welcoming us into a very special moment of your year as you steal away from the hustle and bustle of life to connect deeply with family, deeply with God, uh, indeed deeply with nature as well. So thank you for the honor. It's our first time being at Mount Hermon, so we're pretty excited about that. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I was talking with a guy today, and um, we were just kind of talking about how this is my first time. And so I was kind of like, well, who, who was here uh, for week eight last year? He was like, Chuck Swindoll. It's like, well, it's like, so I was like, well, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. But seriously, we, we are, we're pretty happy uh, to, to be here. And uh, we just, um, this is a special place uh, that I've heard about for many years uh, where God has been moving amongst the heart of his people for uh, three generations and more. So what an honor, what an honor uh, to be here. Uh, I um, was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, and indeed I was raised in a small town outside of Jackson, which is even smaller. And so uh, that was a place called Pearl, Mississippi, where I was born and raised. I am a fourth-generation pastor. And so my great-grandfather was a pastor. My grandfather is a pastor. My dad is a pastor. All the dogs are pastors. It is a pastoral family, but I give God praise for the kind of family that he saw fit to rear me in. Uh, I left Mississippi around 2001, and my first pastorate was in Oakland, California. I was there for about seven years uh, laboring uh, in a church that was a mega church. It had eight members when I got there. And then we went up to 80, and that times 10. So that's mega for me. So that's a, anyways, that's a joke. That's a, that, that did not land. Anyways, um, was out there for about seven years and uh, God brought me back uh, south to Memphis, Tennessee, was under uh, my pastor and mentor, a guy named Brian Loritz, uh, who preaches the gospel. In fact, Brian was just here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Brian called me out of Oakland because I was wanting to go to seminary, and, but I didn't have any money. And Brian calls and says, hey, our church just raised a, a bunch of money. We want to pay for your seminary. We want to give you a job and a salary. And I said to him, I want to let you do that. <laughs> and so I jumped to Memphis, Tennessee, and served out there as a campus pastor, uh, planted a campus for a church called Fellowship Memphis, a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church out in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the best thing that happened in Memphis, Tennessee, though, was the day I looked uh, in the aisles of the church and saw the most beautiful vision I'll ever see. And uh, when the annals of history are written, they may never say that he was a great preacher, nor may they ever say that he was a great leader. They will indeed say he married a great woman. I am married to April Jenkins, who is the love of my life and the partner uh, with me in ministry. Uh, without her, there is no me. And so I thank God and I give great honor to you, my beautiful bride, for your partnership in the gospel with me until now. God has blessed our union with three children, Camden, Grand, and Andy. Grand, like baby grand piano. Uh, we named him after our grandfathers, whose names we don't like. <laughs> my, my grandfather's real birth certificate name is Willie. Her granddad's real birth certificate name is Bobby. And what no way in the world we were going to name our child Willie Bobby, right? So 
We just named them Grand, but they are uh, somewhere in childcare sanctifying the staff over there. And uh, we just thank God. God's blessed us as well. We have some additions to our family this week. Sweet Sophie and Lydia are twin sisters from uh, where we reign, and they are helping us this week not to lose our ever-loving minds with our children. And so I appreciate them as well. Hey, we're, we're a part of, uh, I'm going to get to the, to the sermon here. So um, they gave me like 35 minutes to preach too, so I need to hurry up, you know. So 35 minutes to preach to a black preacher from Mississippi. That's just cruel and unusual punishment, but we'll, we'll deal with all that later. But anyways, um, we bring you greetings from the Coachella Valley, um, uh, Indian Wells to be exact, is where we hail from uh, a sweet church that has welcomed us into their ranks about a year and a half ago called Southwest Church. Uh, sweet people that uh, has been through turbulent times in their recent history, up and downs, uh, and some what I would call spiritual warfare. Uh, God does not want a gospel witness near Palm Springs. And this church has tried to be faithful over the last 45 years. They saw fit to invite me in April to be a part of that church. And we are um, grateful to report to the, the body of Christ that Jesus Christ is moving down there. In the last year and a half, Jesus has brought to faith over 1,200 people. And we give God praise for that. And uh, the, the church has grown by 32%. There's 1,000 people there today that were not there this time a year and a half ago. And so I covet your prayers as we get ready to get back to work and get back there. But I'm so happy to be with you in so far that today in the desert, where we are from, it is 117 degrees. So God has called me to be here. <laughs> right now with you. Uh, let, let, let's get to work. I got, a, I got a lot of fish to fry, just a few minutes to cook it, but I want to spend this, uh, these evenings with you talking about um, the things we all go through and the things we all experience, whether in our practical everyday lives or in the inner vicissitudes of our soul. All of us are going through, by and large, the same things. And tonight I want to talk to you about pressure, going through tough times. I want to talk to you about uh, pressure. Um, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what kind of background you uh, represent, no matter what's going on, I would uh, dare adventure to say that there's probably something in your life that is not, if you will, as optimum as you would have it. It's just true. I got pressure. You got pressure. All of God's children got pressure. Uh, perhaps you're in a season of your life where uh, the health is not where you would have it to be. Your body is sick and afflicted, and you can't get well, and that's causing you pressure. There are those of you who, in your career path, there's pressure, job pressure, or lack of job pressure in your life right now. If we had to tell the truth, and last time I checked, we do, there are husbands and wives here who would admit that, you know, this is one of those years where things are not as smooth as I would have them be. Uh, there are parents and there are grandparents here who would say those sweet little precious gems that God has given us have become more like uncircumcised Philistines. <laughs> and my current season in parenting is not exactly where we would have it. I want to talk about what to do about pressure. What is God looking for? For us to actualize in our hearts. And so uh, let's go now to the Old Testament, the book of Daniel chapter 6. Uh, Daniel chapter 6 is a wonderful and historic episode of scripture of a prophet of God going through a tumultuous time in his life. And I think we'll derive some beautiful truths as to what God is looking for in our lives when he trusts us with treasure, treasure, uh, pressure, pressure. 
excuse me, Daniel chapter 6, uh, verse 16, reads this way. Uh, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Hear it now, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because here it is, he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces." Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Hear now the words of a pagan king. Profess the goodness of the Lord our God, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Mount Hermon, I've read from Daniel chapter 6, verses 16 through 28. I've read from the greatest book ever written. And I bear witness this day that all of its words are true. Amen. Amen. If an oyster were preaching this sermon, that oyster would say, there can be no pearl without some pressure. If an oyster were preaching this sermon, that oyster would say, there can be no pearl without some pressure. Pressure. Uh, any elementary science school student uh, will tell you that at all times, your average oyster beneath the ocean is constantly confronted with the problem of sand. Uh, oysters are constantly confronted with the problem of sand at all times. Uh, oysters are working furiously to protect themselves from sand. Uh, but try as they might to protect themselves from sand, uh, science has proven now that every now and again, a tiny grain of sand will slip through the cracks, invade its interior, and cause unbelievable amounts of pressure. Uh, every now and then, a, a tiny grain of sand will slip through the cracks, invade its interior, and cause unbelievable amounts of pressure. 
This pressure is seething pressure. This is excruciating pressure. This is intolerable pressure. Try as he may to get this sand away from its crevices, eventually the oyster realizes that since it cannot remove the pressure, it must choose to deal with the pressure. Since the oyster cannot remove the pressure, it must choose to deal with the pressure. The way in which it deals with the pressure is it takes that tiny grain of sand and it begins to methodically now secrete a fluid over this tiny grain of sand. It secretes this fluid over and over and over and over again. The years pass and something called calcification happens. At the culmination of the whole ordeal, where was before, this exorbitant amount of pressure has now become an exquisite and beautiful pearl. The lesson is this. All a pearl is, is the fruit of oysters under pressure. As we come to Daniel chapter 6 this evening, essentially what you need to know about the prophet Daniel is that he is your proverbial oyster under pressure. He has been flung into a lion's den. And you can just sense as you read these passages that there comes this moment where Daniel realizes that since he cannot remove the pressure, he must choose to deal with the pressure. And as he does so, he gifts to you and I a wonderful to-do list as to what God wants us to do when he entrusts us with pressure in our lives. I want to hopefully encourage you through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in so doing, what I want to do this evening is navigate a very famous passage of Scripture, and in so doing, I want to lift up these three distinctives as to what Daniel would say what we ought to do about pressure. Here we go, table of contents for our time together this evening. If Daniel were here, and if you're in pressure, he would say to you, don't forget about the fruit, don't forget about the faithfulness, and don't forget about the Father like to tag this text, what to do when you're in pressure. Let's pray. Father, you've not promised God to bless anything but your word and faithfulness to it. So Holy Spirit, here I am, standing in the need of prayer, asking God, would you yet again bless me, your humble servant? And I pray, Lord God, that as we engage one another tonight and engage your word, that we would not hear the mere antics of man but we would hear the true oracles of the living God. Holy Spirit, find your children where they are tonight and break chains. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Every heart said, amen. Amen. You already have a little church this evening? All right? Four of us? Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm a, I'm a black preacher from Mississippi, so just know your amens aren't going to throw me off at all, Okay. <laughs> I want to go to the classroom for a few minutes, and I promise we're going to go to church. But essentially, before we jump to the text, let's kind of telescopically ask some questions of the text. And allow me, if you will, to equip you with a word about Daniel. And what I want to do, Mount Hermon, tonight is essentially beg two questions of the book of Daniel. The first being this, what is it, Bible readers, that makes the book of Daniel a special book that it is? What is it that makes the book of Daniel so special? It is, of course, located in that genre of scripture that we call the major prophets. And some of you have read the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs and the Ezekiel. So when you come to Daniel, maybe that's your first question, what makes Daniel so special? 
Well, I hope you noticed it while we were reading the passage. At the end of the day, it's just this epic story about this man that goes through this epic ordeal but is miraculously delivered by God, and there it is. What what makes Daniel special is that at its barest essential, it is a story. It is a narrative about a real person who went with real things. It is a story that you and I can cling to and identify with so you and I can copy and paste what went down in Daniel's story and apply it to our own story as well. What makes Daniel so special? It's a story. Stay with me in the classroom for a few minutes. I promise we're going to church. The second question I would beg is what does the book of Daniel teach us about pressure? Now get ready because this is going to be the most profound moment of the sermon, so I hope you're writing this down. Here it is. If Daniel were here, he would say this, pressure happens. I know that's profound, right? I got that from Kierkegaard, okay? Pressure happens. If Daniel were here, he would say Christian folks, especially we Christian folks who are in the West living at 2019, he would remind us that life is not the Instagram vision that you think it is. He would say to us that pressure happens. It's just a reminder that you cannot get away from pressure. You've got to choose to deal with it. And that's a word to us modern Christians, that our life is not going to always be this Andy Griffith, honky-dory, full moon, beautiful, perfect, smooth sailing experience, okay? I don't know what's going on, but somebody came into our churches like 25, 30 years ago and said we're supposed to be comfortable all the time. And here's the problem with that kind of theology. (laughs) It's not there. There is no promise of God that said once you come to Christ that your life forevermore will be easy and smooth sailing. In fact, the Bible tends to teach the exact opposite, that now that you're a faithful follower of Christ, you've actually welcomed more drama into your life. God did not call us to be comfortable. He called us to be courageous. And here's the good news of Christianity, especially of those of you who have yet to accept him as your Lord and Savior. The promise of Christianity is not that you'll never go through anything. The promise of Christianity is that when you go through something, my God has promised that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, and I want to speak to you who are going through some pressure right now. Jesus told me to tell you he is with you in your storm. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pressure happens, but when it happens, Jesus will be with me. So when you come to Daniel 6, you, if you're a Bible reader, when you finally read Daniel 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then you get to 6, you are shocked by the mundanity of the scene. What do I mean by that? By this time, scholars think that Daniel is 83 years old. Translation, he ain't no spring chicken. But here he is going through yet another jacked up situation, another trial, another tribulation, another test, another set of enemies trying to betray him, another absent-minded king, another pitfall, and then another deliverance by God. Daniel would say, you're going to go through this again and again in your life. And what I want you to see in the text, Mount Hermon, is what you don't see. You don't see Daniel wasting a lot of time saying, woe is me, why me, God, how could this happen? He knows how this could happen because pressure happens. In fact, my grandmama used to say it this way, if you ain't got any pressure and ain't never had no pressure, baby, just keep living. (laughs) 
It's the idea that pressure will find all of us. And the question for the believer cannot be you wasting a lot of time saying, why did this happen to me? But rather, I would encourage you to invest that time saying, God, this has happened to me, but you are surprised by nothing. What do you want out of me while I'm in the pressure? And the truth of the matter is, some of us are going through cyclical pressures, not because God is mad at you, but because you refuse to listen to God and do what God wants you to do in that pressure. No wonder you get copied and pasted into the same old scenario because you refuse to lay down and say, Jesus, what do you want out of me to do in me that I may make you look good in this storm? Now, y'all ain't the amen in type, but somebody should have said amen right there. Pressure happens. If Daniel were here, what would he say? I think the first thing he would say is, don't forget about the fruit. Don't don't forget about the fruit. Translation, God does not allow his people to go through pressure and trouble without also marrying your trouble with triumph. Did you hear that? God has this plan to glorify his name through whatever it is you're going through in your life. And so let me kind of teach a little theological perspective here. At the end of the day, human being, your job description is to glorify God and to make much of him. Glorify is a $20 word that means that you ought to live your life in such a way that you make Jesus famous. That's your purpose on this earth is to so mother and to so father and to so be an employee and to so be out in the the community and to so grandparent that as you live your life, you are pointing towards a greater good, which is the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When it comes to your personal solar system, you are not the sun that has all the light. You are the moon that's just a clumsy piece of rock that is worth nothing unless it has has a sun that has light that it can bear to the world. Are you smelling what I'm stepping in? It's the idea that your ultimate hope in this world is to live a life, to one day close your eyes and breathe your last breath and run to Jesus in heaven to be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, because you lived your life not to get rich, not to get famous, but to make much of the name of Jesus Christ. That's your job. So just don't forget about the fruit. The idea is that when you go through pressure, when you go through trouble, God uses that to make his name famous in the world. So here's the sticky statement I want you to hear. Believer, the glory of God enjoys a platform in your seasons of pressure just like it does in your seasons of peace. The glory of God enjoys a platform when you're going through pressure The same way it enjoys a platform when you're going through seasons of peace. So this is what I want you to take home. God always has a purpose for your pressure. So what was God's purpose for Daniel? Let's reverse engineer this. When we go to verses 25 through 28, the Bible tells us that this pagan king of Persia, the greatest empire in the world, plausibly millions of people under his power, he sees Daniel go through a lion's den, still have the peace of God. He sees God miraculously save him. Homeboy writes a new law that says, okay, that God must be the real God because last time I checked, Mufasa and Scar and Simba were hungry. And they didn't eat up Daniel. This must be the true God. He signs in the law. Everybody's got to worship this God. Now, Daniel had to go through something, 
But as we see at the end of the story, that that was worth something. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God allows us to go through stuff, but he uses our stuff to make him famous. That's the good news of the gospels. This is what I want you to hear, okay? Jesus is compelling to others in your peacetime, but I think he's more compelling in your seasons of pressure. Jesus is compelling in peacetime. Like when you've got a job and marriage is going well and kids are acting right and they got all the teeth in the mouth and they're getting good grades and everything's going well and your Cadillac is running and all this good stuff, people say, man, this Jesus stuff is really working out for you. But when you're going through you know what, and when you're going through the ups and downs of life, and even though you're desperate, you still have an inner peace about you, that's attractive. Because people need to know that, yes, Jesus is good at peace times, but how many of you know that the world is looking for a God who's strong in times of storms? The idea is that God wants glory out of your life, okay? Here's what I want you to hear. If God, however, is using your pressure to make him famous, he has promised to use your pressure to make you strong. Did you hear that? If God is going to use your pressure to make him famous, he's also promised to use your pressure to make you strong. So the book of James says it best when it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If God's going to use your pressure to make him famous. He's also going to use your pressure to make you strong. On December 29th, uh, 1987, uh, Russian cosmonauts returned from space to Earth after having spent 326 days in space. Uh, but when they landed back to Earth, uh, scientists were amazed that they were in absolute perfect health. And of course, the question is why? Any astronaut will tell you any elongated time in space means that you're going to get sickly and weak. Why? Because you're in zero gravity. Your muscles atrophy because they have no resistance against them. So now the question is, why were these Russian cosmonauts so healthy? It's because they wore these specially designed uh, spacesuits that had at every nook and cranny tight rubber elastic bands so that even in zero gravity, they had to push against resistance. And because they were gifted with resistance, they came back strong. Did you hear it? God didn't give you resistance to, because he's mad at you. He gives you resistance to make sure that you are strong because he loves you. Don't forget about the fruit. But secondly, church, don't forget about the faithfulness. Let's kind of go home here. You ever been in a time of pressure, okay? Like, and you're just kind of thinking to yourself, man, this one's kind of lasting a bit too long. You can say amen now. <laughs> I mean, you ever just going through something, it's just like, good Lord. Like, I mean, I get it, a tough year, but it's been a tough decade, Right? And sometimes you beg the question, Lord, okay, apparently you're up to something. God, what are you looking for out of me? If Daniel were here, Mount Hermon, what he'd say that God is looking for out of you in times of pressure is faithfulness. He's looking for faithfulness, okay? Church, if you're going through pressure, now is not the time to be unfaithful. Okay, we're going to practice something, and we're going to get that in our spirit, okay? Do me a favor. It's just an exercise, okay? Uh, touch the person on the shoulder next to you, okay? And say, Nate, this is a black church exercise. <laughs> don't be alarmed, okay? Touch the person and say, neighbor, don't forget about faithfulness. 
the idea is that now is not the time to be unfaithful. Parenthetically, it's never the time to be unfaithful. But what you need to know is now is not the time to be unfaithful. Now, why am I saying that? Because maybe like me, if you got a lot of pressure going on, sometimes you think your pressure gives you a pass. Oh, somebody say amen. <laughs> Especially if there's a person that's causing you trauma and drama and pain and pressure in your life, right? You just think it's so bad, this person get on my nerves, this person is wrong, this person has caused me injustice. And sometimes you think that pressure gives you a pass to put this Bible down and bring your old self up. Can I get a I wish you would witness up in here? <laughs> sometimes we're tempted to believe that our pressure gives us a pass. But now is not the time to be unfaithful. Uh, my mentor, Pastor Crawford Loritz, used to say it to me this way, preacher, you keep preaching the Bible and you keep living it out, you will get in trouble. But the good news is that when you're in trouble, preaching that Bible and living it out is the only thing that's going to get you out of trouble. The idea is that faithfulness may get pressure and heat seasons upon your life, but friend, faithfulness is the only thing that's going to get you out of that pressure as well. This is what we learn in Daniel chapter 6. More than anything, it's a display of faithfulness to God. So how faithful was Daniel? He was so faithful that in verse 5, his enemies and the enemy officials said, the only way we're going to catch this guy is if we make his faith illegal. He's so faithful that the only way we're going to get this guy trapped is to make his faithfulness to God illegal. How faithful was Daniel? Verse 10, the law gets signed that he can't worship the true God. My Bible says in verse 10 that homeboy went right back to his prayer closet, turned his face towards Jerusalem, got down and faced Jerusalem and prayed to God three times a day. And the scripture says in verse 10, as he had done previously. Translation, he wasn't going to allow his pressure to dictate his commitment. The idea is that no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to be faithful to my Lord God. And this is what we learn. Faithfulness got him in trouble, but faithfulness got him out. Verse 22, he says, my God shut the mouth of the lions. He sent his angel. Here it is, king, because I was found blameless before him. That's what God's looking for out of you. So the question I got to answer here, stay with me in the classroom for a few minutes. I promise we're going to church is what then is faithfulness? I mean, what, what exactly is faithfulness? This is what I want you to hear, Mount Hermon. Your propensity towards faithfulness has everything to do with your concept of integrity. You will only be faithful insofar as you have a sound perspective of integrity. These two ideas, integrity and faithfulness, are inextricably connected. So what does integrity mean? Let's look at this on screen. The idea of integrity is mathematical. Okay, and integrity's root word is the word integer. An integer is in any whole number as opposed to a fraction of a number. Did you hear that? It's important. An integer is any whole number as opposed to a fractional number. What then is faithfulness? Integrity means that the same person you are before God in times of peace will be the same person you are before God in times of pressure. Can I go further? Integrity means that the same employee you are when your boss is right there will be the same employee that you are when he's on vacation. Can I go further? Integrity means that the same spouse you are when your spouse is there <laughs> will be the same spouse you are when no one else 
is looking. Can I go one more? Integrity means that the same person you are in public matches the same person you are in private. Daniel had resolved that whether or not I'm in the lion's den or the carnival cruise line buffet, I'm going to be faithful to God. Uh, Guys, remember the 1980s back when we had real TV? Can I get a before Netflix witness up in here? Who who remembers this show? Hill Street Blues. Real TV, right? Um, uh, The star of Hill Street Blues was this hard-nosed, straight-laced cop named Frank Farillo. Okay? Uh, Frank Farrell always had on his dress blues, captain of the police department, no-nonsense kind of guy. Uh, but the scene goes that his wife finally gets him away, gets him off work so they can have date night. They go to this little cocktail lounge, and she's just so excited because she finally got Frank off of work, and she's just dainty, and she's got on a dress, and he's got on his suit, and she's just so happy because her husband's off work. And they're sitting down. They're enjoying their cocktail. They're just sitting down having a good time. Unknowingly, a drug dealer approaches Frank Farillo to offer him an opportunity to buy drugs. The wife is looking at Frank so as to say, don't you do this. Don't you do this. Don't you do this. Frank methodically pulls out his handcuffs. Parenthetically, Frank, what in the world are you doing with handcuffs at a cocktail lounge? Anyways, he pulls out his handcuffs and starts to arrest the guy. His wife is frustrated. She's going off on him. She says, Frank, you just don't know how to take a day off, do you? He looks back at her and says, I guess I'm just a driven kind of guy. But what was he really communicating? What he was telling her is that I don't know how to do the right thing only when I'm on duty. Uniform on. Uniform off, I'm the same cop. If you're going through pressure, what Jesus is saying to you now is that whether the world is looking at you or whether the world is not, I want you to be the same believer and be faithful. Ricky, how do we do this? Church, invite Jesus into your lack of faithfulness. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus leaps and springs into action when you ask him to help you become more faithful. I'm a living witness that if you ask Jesus for a billion dollars, he'll say, wait. (laughs) I'm a living witness, okay? I'm a living witness that if you ask for permission to buy a Range Rover, he'll say no. (laughs) But you say, Jesus, help me to be faithful and make you look good. The Savior claps his hands and he rubs them and he says, now, that's what I'm talking about. And he leaps right into action. Don't forget about the fruit. Don't forget about the faithfulness. Let's get out of here. Don't forget about the Father. The story ends, friends, and God was faithful to deliver Daniel out of the lion's den. Someone needed to hear this today, that our God is still in the deliverance business. And so my prayer for you, troubled marriage, is that God will get you out of that lion's den. My prayer for you, cancer patient, is that God will get you out of that lion's den. My prayer for you, parent with the wayward child, is that God will get you out of the lion's den. God has the power to deliver. We used to believe him back in the day. We need to start believing him again. Our God is the same one who parted Red Seas, crumbled Jericho's walls, and I say to you, he has the power to deliver you too. And the text gives us a lesson here that when he does deliver you, make sure you thank him. When he does bring you out, make sure you let the world know who did it and who gets the credit.
Verse 22 says that Daniel was here, and he says to the king, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Translation, he gave the most public platform he would have ever had, the king of the world, who that was his audience. And he says, God did this. Why? Because I was blameless before him. The old preachers used to say it this way. The reason Daniel survived the lion's den is because lions are flesh-eating animals. Some of you won't get that till you go home. (laughs) But it's the idea that he was so full of the Spirit of God that there was no flesh found in him. And what we see is when God got him out, he gave God the praise. What's the lesson? When you get out of this storm, don't you all of a sudden act like it was because of your brilliance and your ingenuity and your resources? It was because of a God of heaven who delivered you. The world needs to hear that God is still in the deliverance business. This is the lesson. We're going to go home. Daniel didn't just thank God privately in his heart. He thanked God publicly with his mouth. You hear that? He didn't just thank God privately and say, oh, God, that's just wonderful what you did. <laughs> no. Publicly, he let the world know that it's God who has done this for me. Don't forget about the Father. Here's the lesson. Church, when he brings you out, don't you let nothing stop you from praising God. In fact, the old song where I grew up, they used to sing it this way. Don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now. Faith is acting like a thing is so, even though it ain't so, in order that it might be so. Let the world know that you believe in God, and don't let anything stop you from giving God all the praise. A wonderful story is told of an elderly African-American woman back in the 1950s. Deep South, uh, who decided that she would go to a different church on Sunday morning. Now, as an African-American woman, Deep South, 1950, she was from the other side of the tracks. And her church tradition was charismatic with no seatbelt. <laughs> and she decided she would go across the tracks to the old mainline white church, the Presbyterian, where she's charismatic with no seatbelt. They were Presbyterian and frozen chosen, Okay. <laughs> The ushers escort her in, and she sits down, and there was an old, uh, you know, kind of your quintessential preacher up there preaching the gospel, and he's just preaching, and he he says to the crowd, Jesus died on the cross. That old black lady hollered out in the middle of the service, yes, he did. (laughs) The two ushers rushed her and said, ma'am, you can't do that. You don't, we don't talk like that here. And she says, but I done got legend. And they said, yes, ma'am, but you didn't get it here. And she says, okay, I'll be quiet, I'll be quiet, I'll be quiet. And so she kind of settles herself, and that old preacher kind of gets wound up again. And he says, and he died for our sins on the cross. And she said, yes, he did. And those ushers came and said, ma'am, you cannot do this. If you have another outburst, we're going to take you out of here. You cannot do this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going to shut up, I'm going to shut up. That old preacher got all wound up again. Then he put up both his hands, and he says, an early Sunday morning. That old black lady said, he got up! He got up with all power in his hand. Those two big old burly ushers grab both arms and they start pulling her out of the aisle, kicking and screaming. And the whole time they're pulling her out, she's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And they said, why are you shouting now? She said, they carried Jesus in on one donkey. They're carrying me out on two. Praise the Lord. When he brings you out, don't you let nothing stop you from praising God. At the end of the day, 
God is looking for a thank you. Uh, many years ago, for you to have ventured down a particular pier along the coastline of Key Biscayne, Florida, it's possible you would have seen there on the dock an old man out on the dock with a bucket of shrimp, tossing shrimp into the air as eventually a flock of seagulls would gather around to feast. And the name of this old man was Eddie Rickenbacker. Eddie Rickenbacker was our greatest World War I pilot, the most decorated pilot of World War I, an absolute war hero. By the time World War II rolled around, he had been deemed by the government too old to fly. However, because he was the hero that he was, Roosevelt brought him to the White House and said, I want you to go to the Pacific Theater and sit with MacArthur and go over there and encourage the troops. And sure enough, Eddie Rickenbacker and his crew of eight men fly their B-17 bomber over the ocean. They go there to successfully encourage the troops. But history tells us that he was flying back over the ocean. They suffered engine failure and crash landed into the ocean. Miraculously, all eight crew members survived. And the scene was one of them, eight days later, floating in the middle of the ocean on various pieces of wreckage, getting ready to die. Eight days, no food. Eight days, no water. But as Eddie Rickenbacker was a man of faith, he kind of gathers the guys and says, let's pray one last time that God will let us die peacefully. He pulls the men all together and they pray. And while he's praying, Eddie can sense that there's a seagull, a bird, flapping its wings overhead. While he's praying, he thinks to himself, that's a seagull. And if I can grab this seagull, I can pluck its feather. We can get a bite to eat and maybe we live another day. He grabs the seagull. He plucks the feathers. Everybody takes a bite. But then they think to themselves, maybe we can fish with this seagull. There was wires floating in the ocean, so they, they get the wire, and they pull the entrails of the seagull, they manipulate this, and they start fishing, catching fish after fish after fish after fish, so much so that they survived, and 24 days later, they made it safely to shore. And every Friday, history tells us that Eddie Rickenbacker had a wonderful tradition who would venture down a particular pier along the coastline of Key Biscayne, Florida, with a bucket of shrimp, and he would toss the shrimp into the air as the seagulls began to gather around. And they say, if you got close enough to the old man, you can hear the old man saying to the seagulls, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because Eddie had the sense to know that if somebody lays their life down for you, the least you can do is say thank you. To those of you in pressure, hear the words of Christ. I have gone through the ultimate pressure for you, and I've defeated it. That when you go through it, you too will have a story that you can cling to and identify with. But just like I got up, whether in this life or in the next, you too will get up and recognize that now by telling me, thank you. Amen.